Welcome to the Jesus and Everybody podcast, the show where we talk to everybody about the intersection of Jesus and their life story. My name is Andrew Ironside, and thank you for joining us today on this episode. Our guest today is Jess Jans. Jess is a friend of ours. She's a creative artist and speaks openly and passionately about faith and mystery and food and so many other amazing things. You're going to love this show today. She speaks honestly and from the heart, and what else could you want in a podcast? Sit back, relax. This is going to be a lot of fun. And Jess has so kindly even shared some of her poems with us. You're going to see those interspersed in this podcast. I try to be creative myself. I can't quite compete, but uh, make sure you check those out and stick around right at the end. There's one poem to end things off. So without further ado, as part of the Jesus and Everybody podcast, this is Jess Jens. Well, welcome Jess to the Jesus and Everybody podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's really great to talk to you today. And I'm excited to hear a lot of your story and what you have to share. So as you know, the, the premise of this show is to discuss the intersection of Jesus and your life story and all that goes with that. And that could go in so many different directions. And that's what we're going to do today. Um, if yeah. you're okay, we'll just jump right in talking about even as you look at your story and your upbringing, uh, what part did faith and Jesus have to play? Mm. Such a sweeping question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) In just one minute, uh, if you could answer all those. (laughs) Maybe you could just touch on every, every uh, point in that. Uh, Yeah. So I grew up going to church as a, from like as early as I can remember my parents met at a Christian summer camp and my dad was a youth pastor for, for a while. So we grew up going to the Langley Vineyard, which is a Pentecostal church. So we had like hour and a half worship, <laughs> like music at, at church and like people falling over and flags and dancing and the whole nine yards and tongues and everything. So nothing scares me. <laughs> and um and yeah, like lots of ministry time and prophetic words and all that kind of thing. So from a very, very young age, there was language around, I mean, it, there was knowing about God and being taught about God and Jesus and also kind of crazy as, you know, for children <laughs> to be thinking about and hearing stories about salvation and the resurrection and death and what happens when we die and heaven and hell. And I don't know, like I'm a, I've been a pretty deep thinker and like existential kid (laughs) for for like my whole life. And so hearing even the story of Noah, maybe some kids are like, Oh, animals, this is cool. Whatever. Like what a cute story. There's a boat. I, I took it really from a very, right from the beginning of, okay, but why did Noah get chosen? And was it really every single animal and how many, how squishy was it? And like thinking about yeah. kind of the, the like intricacies and the, like the, the kind of practicalities of those, those stories. And I think that has influenced my life in every way of, I'm now I've been an artist my whole life and a musician and I'm a writer and that is something very present in in my work of you know I think about God all the time and how we got here and why things are the way that they are and I think 
that that was heavily influenced by by growing up in church and and having those themes and concepts kind of floating around and so you talk about this idea of even as a as a kid questioning things or pondering more than other people might just take it at face value but you're already beginning to to ask questions and i think knowing you Mm -hmm. that that's a theme that just has continued through that talk a little bit more about your faith journey into you know your teenage years being a young adult and how that questioning journey with you in your faith Mm -hmm. yeah it was definitely I mean yeah I continued to go to church as a teenager and was a youth group kid and all of my closest friends were the youth group kids and I learned our, our church was really musical, like um, the vineyard, a lot of, a lot of like nineties worship songs that, you know, like came out of the church that I grew up in. And I was on a children's album when I was a kid and like, um, are we going to get a taste of that at some point? (laughs) We actually dug it up at, at Christmas time and it was a little bit mortifying, but (laughs) uh, if you want to dig through the archives, (laughs) pause for snippet here. Yeah. Yeah. So through, that was hugely influential. I like learned how to play guitar and started writing music and music has been a huge part of my life because of that. And, and like the mentorship that you get at church, like just having cool 20 something year olds as your youth leaders, kind of like treating you like a, a a human, not just a kid, you know, like having Mm -hmm. older influences of people just asking about your week and, and investing in you and stuff. I think that that was hugely influential. Yeah. So the, there definitely was, I was never like a skeptic as a, as a teenager. I wouldn't use that word at all, but I definitely was, I was less interested in, oh, this is what the Bible says, like black and white. So that, that's just, you know, like afterlife package A (laughs) or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always been willing and wanting to sit in the mystery of all the things that we don't know for sure. And I think it's so beautiful that the Bible is written in stories and that Jesus was a storyteller. And because I think that stories are the way that we, that our, our hearts and our minds are are, are touched and therefore changed. So I was always moved by that. And I started kind of seeing this disconnect as a teenager between kind of what I was reading and what I believed to be true about Jesus and what he hoped for us as humans and the way that we take care of each other and love each other and regard each other. And kind of the teachings of the church and like even the people around the behavior of Christians around me and kind of questioning that. And um, a a really big turning point was there was a woman at my church who every Sunday would wear a hoodie that in really big, (laughs) aggressive block letters, her sweatshirt said, abortion is mean. And it was, it was jarring, which I think was the purpose of the sweatshirt, but there was another church member who had gone back to school for a diploma and early on 
one of her classmates, I think they were like five or six weeks into school and the classmate said, can you take notes for me on Thursday? I'm not going to be here. And the church member said, oh yeah, sure. Like, can I help with anything? Like, do you need me to, like, are you okay? Whatever. And the, the classmate said, well, I'm actually having an abortion on Thursday. So I like, will be out of, out of commission, whatever. And uh, the church member through talking about it and stuff, found out that like, no one was going, she didn't have anyone to go with her to her abortion. And so the church member went and obviously that's a really contentious topic within the church. And there's lots of passionate opinions around that topic, but it was a really through talking with this church member who went, who went to this abortion with her classmate, it was that, you know, they became really close and when you're a Christian and you know the beauty of community and belonging and the message of hope and the message of redemption and the message of, I don't know, security and all of the beautiful things that like is taught, <laughs> like, like that Jesus talked about, you would want to offer that to someone who obviously made a really difficult decision and faced a really impossible thing in their life. And, and there's a lot that comes with making a decision like that. And it was kind of the first moment that I kind of went, okay, where would, where would Jesus be? <laughs> and, and I, I believe that he wouldn't be the person wearing that hoodie. He would have been at the clinic. It, it was the first moment where I kind I witnessed in order to, to practice community with someone the the safest and best option for them was to not be at church be at that church with that mm. woman in that sweatshirt and um yeah so that was a really influential kind of turning point in my faith for sure can i ask then it it doesn't have to be this topic but that abortion is like you said one that is such a hot button like people mm-hmm. are very very divided i mean even politically in the states which mm-hmm. greatly influences our views of things that that mm-hmm. that like is the issue for a lot of people that's how they will vote millions and millions of people will vote yeah. over that mm-hmm. issue and yet you're kind of getting at something here that i, I want to dig out a bit you're you know it's not as simple as abortion or not abortion are you pro-life or you're pro-choice mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yet and yet that's what is sold to people which is cruel i think on both sides that you, mm-hmm. you know if you vote one way you're this um, but yeah. can you talk a bit about that? Like, wh- why is it mm-hmm. that, especially like within a church context, I mean, everyone is guilty of this, but specifically connected to church and spirituality, why do people get drawn into that, the one side or the other? And how does that play into your own wrestling? Yeah, if that makes sense. Totally. Um there's kind of, to me, there's like these three buttons of, or that like hot topics in the church, which are just so weird <laughs> to me, that it's abortion, it's homosexuality, and it's sex before marriage. And these, like growing up, uh, coming of age, like in the early 2000s, like purity culture, I'm doing air quotes, was such a huge, you know, I was taught that being you should be a virgin before you're married and it was and if you are not then you are living in sin and that language of living in sin is such a funny 
thing that we reserve to these three things. And I mean, why, like, why is that? I don't like, Hey, there's control and power and all of that kind of weird stuff tied up into it. And I think it misses the mark. I think that the, the church is missing the mark on focusing on those things in a binary right, wrong. This is, you know, and, and if something, if something is wrong, then it says something about the rest of that person's spiritual life or the, like, it's a comment on the rest of their um, spiritual health, I guess. Whereas we don't focus on, you know, gluttony or selfishness or all being self-seeking or self-serving and Mm -hmm. all of that kind of stuff. And I think I've had seasons where it, when I think of the phrase living in sin, to me, that means being away from like that I'm removing myself from God or I'm, I, I've lost my center where it has been like seeking intimacy with people because I haven't centered in like the, the truth and of who I am or that, yeah, that I've been really selfish with my time or I've gotten really like gossipy and stuff. And you, it feels really crappy. Like that's a bad headspace to be in and not, yeah, not, it just, it's not kind. It's not, thoughtful it's not considerate and that's not the type of person that I want to be but I think that these topics because like they're visible and they're yeah I wonder if it because it's easy to pin it on something that Mm -hmm. that the church focuses on it but it is so much it's so much bigger and it needs to be reckoned with within the church because I think you know so many within these three kind of topics people they go oh well I guess that I'm no longer welcome and so they excuse themselves from the church and you know so many I have a a lot of friends in the gay community and like their their spiritual practice or like their spiritual understanding of God maybe has been affected but it doesn't like it's not like oh if you're gay then you're not you're not a Christian or like if you're gay you can't like you don't believe in God or you're not wrestling with your own spirituality but when we kind of put this gate at the beginning at the front of you know a proverbial gate at the front of the building Mm -hmm. then it's not inviting then they don't even have the option of participating in community or participating in like the story of christ or or the beauty of of being within a a faith community Mm. this one is called blessed are the sinners I grew up with a God we would sing to, and then I learned people had made up rules for who was allowed to sing and how loud, and only certain kinds of songs. And some weren't allowed to sing because they looked wrong or acted wrong, or they they loved the wrong kind of person, as if there is any such thing as the wrong kind of love. Blessed are the sinners, for we will be the first to know. The song, never mind at all, resounds. I don't want to ask you to speak too much on behalf of other people, but some of your Mm -hmm. friends uh, from the gay community, like you said, would most of them have a negative view then of the church? I would say 
most have a have a painful experience with with the church and and christian relatives in their life or christian friends or and and i think it's important to say it's not just the radical you know the protesting what is that it's like the the I don't know what group it is who has the billboard yeah, like the Westboro Stone. Baptist Church it, and God hates exactly, fags and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah like awful. I think it's important. It's important to say that it's it's not just that blatant billboard where they and they're like, well, that, I think it's easier to not be affected by that. Like you you look and you're like, oh, that's extreme, gross. Like that's mm-hmm. unfortunate that those. How sad that those people are so full of hate and like, does God? obviously God doesn't hate anyone. Like God is love, (laughs) but the more it's important to point out, it's more painful, the like nuanced, even if it's, oh, even though I think it's wrong, what you're doing, God loves you anyway, is a very, that's still very isolating. That's still very polarizing and a placement of like, you're still in the wrong. God still is making a judgment and like, you should feel shame around uh your your sexual orientation Mm -hmm. and it this is kind of a hard question but there and i want to say this sensitively but there are those who would be within the church who recognize all that you just said and Mm -hmm. they're like i don't want to be that way i want to i want to genuinely be loving like without strings attached without the mm-hmm. nuances or passive aggressive statements or just even things you don't say mm-hmm. um, and yet they are wrestling themselves with an upbringing of faith that they believe teaches them well this this is at the end of the day it's still not i guess god's will they would say you know mm-hmm. or the bible so so even all like there's so there's an a, a, a wrestling and an angst there and I've seen this genuinely in some people that I know and love that, that it, they, they are wrestling with that piece too. And I don't want to even compare the two, the yeah. wrestling of someone on the other side of the fence per se, but you know what I mean? Like what would, what, well, it's indo- yeah. Like how do you, how do you switch? Like, it's okay. Like I have incredible grace for, it's what we were taught. Like I was taught that I was taught that being gay. I've, that's, and that's where I started too, was, Oh, even though it's not God's original plan, he still loves everybody. And, but there was still that twinge of, (laughs) of judgment in it, you know? And I, and I would say radic, like our first job is love. And it's not like, Oh, love, show people love, show your, your gay nephew or your gay niece or, you know, whoever it is that, you know, your neighbor or whatever, show them love so that they know the redemptive story of Jesus. And maybe they'll become celibate and like no longer be gay or like, like participating in being gay or whatever, however you say that. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's, it's like, we're just called to love each other. And it's not my job to, what is that word? There's, there's a church word for this. Um, like call people or, on, yeah. thank you, convict. Yeah, like it's like, if God convicts someone, like that's God's business, not mine, mm-hmm. of like where people are at in their life and in their spiritual journey. And, and there's this book, 
by Nadia Boltzweber called Shameless. Nadia Boltzweber is a Lutheran pastor, but she had this church in Colorado called Church for All Sinners and Saints. And they're like very like progressive name. and liberal. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. it's cool. Um, she has some provocative thoughts around all sorts of things. And so in one of the chapters, she's talking about a parishioner or someone in her church who is trans. And in, in the book, she says, there's a lot that I don't understand still or that like I get hung up on or confused about, but those are my hangups, not that person's. Mm-hmm. She says that, and th- she swears, so I'll do a direct quote, but she says like, that's my shit, not theirs. Mm-hmm. And like, that's for me to wrestle with God and not for within her job with that church member is to support them and listen and show them love and that's it like and so I think yeah it's it's okay it's totally okay to wrestle of course these are like it, it's countercultural within the church to be radically accepting or like to to even say like maybe it's not just us that it's not even a sin to be gay like that's not what's taught in any uh in mo- in majority of churches right and so it's okay to wrestle kind of with with the the conflict there yeah thanks for sharing that and just to keep going on this a little bit and we'll see where it goes the (laughs) and honestly i'll just an aside truly if we can edit some of this later i'm just processing this but um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so again thinking of people within the church who genuinely are on a journey of wanting to radically love god and other people like god commands us Mm -hmm. to to do and yet who are still thinking like well i just read what this passage says and and Mm -hmm. or they or like i I hear i can i can imagine people as a counter argument to what you said would say yeah jesus is loving but there are times where he says okay go and sin no more right he like Mm -hmm. if you see your friend struggling with addiction at some point it's not loving to to say nothing, right? Like you actually say, man, I, I love you enough to say this, which is very hard because I love you and I want your healing and I want right. your hope. That's, you know what I mean? That's still, that that is the thought process for many people in the church, even mm-hmm. in our generation, particularly who really on this, on this issue, I think find themselves pondering this a lot. <laughs> and if they're not saying right. they are, they're lying because everyone is thinking about these topics. Right. Um, you know what I mean? How, how, what would you say to someone who's in that, place where they are wanting to accept fully as Jesus did. And yet there, right. there's a piece of them that says, wait, but am I, am I still, aren't I still supposed to tell them that they're right? Well, and this to is use the that impasse. church word. Yeah, sure. Sure. Like this is the impasse because we're first, we have to agree on the terms of this kind of debate of like, is being gay wrong? Or, I mean, I would feel more comfortable even throwing myself into the ring of like, I'm not a virgin and I'm unmarried. And when I was 20, like I was a worship leader for a long time, all through my teenage years and into my twenties. And then like, there would be people who would say like, no matter how, if I was in a, you know, loving committed relationship, but sleeping with my boyfriend, then like, I'm not, right with the Lord and I'm not 
like I'm living in like literally living in sin. And so therefore like not, I've taken myself out of the running of being able to like lead people in worship. I think a lot of churches, a lot of like faith groups would kind of run on that MO. Right. And I, that's really crappy. (laughs) Like that's to have someone be like, just so you know, like, I think you're, living situation is wrong and to like fixate on that, that like, there's no other redemptive, um, there's no other, I like that I've lost all authority because of that lifestyle choice. I mean, and then there's like, there's a whole other side to this too, of talking about the Bible and how the Bible came to be and that it's passed down and translated however many times and that we don't speak Hebrew and like there are I think people might see that argument as kind of maybe a cop-out or something, but, you know, even when they're talking, like the passage that we know of where it's now translated to homosexuality, the original Greek word was talking about pedophilia, not, not homosexuality. And so there's all of these technicalities of like talking about the, the Bible as absolute translation when when we think of it of it was written on cowhide and stones and stuff and that like that's where we're deriving our beliefs like the final word on all of these things Mm -hmm. and also the cultural reality of like that people were like women were getting married at 12 or like that you were betrothed and there wasn't dating in the bible there wasn't like courtship or relationships or anything like that and that there, there was no like guideposts to that. It was like the, so when they're saying like, don't sleep with people before you're married, they mean don't sleep with strangers at, at the like little tavern down the street or whatever. It's not like talking about dating when you've been dating for three years or, or something like that. There's so co- historical context, I think is also important and and then as you say with the addiction example, yeah, there's enabling behavior um, when you think it's harmful. It's okay to have, I mean, with addiction specifically, it's like, yes, of course you you voice it, but it also has to do with who you're in relationship with mm-hmm. and who you have permission to speak into someone's life. And And that can happen with strangers too. Like I've had conversations out in the world where you end up getting right to the good gutsy stuff of life so but there's the open door to have that conversation it's not just walking straight up to someone who seems like they might be gay or someone who talks in passing about you know living with their boyfriend and they're not married obviously or something like that of being like just so you know I need to impart what God thinks of this that's not Mm. there's a difference that in that than like as a friend saying like, Hey, where are you at with this? How are you doing? Right. Right. And even you've said the word community a few times and, and we're going to get to that, but that, that I think is such an integral piece that can be so often left out of these conversations in any context Mm -hmm. of, of community, of, of intimacy, of love, of relationship, of of seeing people as people. Again, Mm -hmm. like it sounds, it sounds obvious to say, but like we can talk about topics all day long but then you meet real people and Mm -hmm. it suddenly is way more mysterious and complex and 
your emotions. I, I that if I can just share a story for a second, I, I think of mm-hmm. uh, Steph and I went to a wedding out west a few years ago, and she was the photographer. So I sat at a table for like the whole time by myself, and there was one other <laughs> girl that was there because I guess all the other tables were for like the the MC. Anyway, so there's just two of us sitting yeah, there, yeah. <laughs> and we get talking, and we had just a really good talk, and she shared part of her journey that she was you know involved in religion and but came out as being a lesbian and being then removed from that community and her wrestling and angst with it and we had just a beautiful talk like this is like well into the night at this random wedding she's just pouring out her heart and at one point she did ask me she said you know so you said that you're a christian like so what do you think about all this Mm -hmm. and i just i was overcome with emotion in that moment i just yeah part of it was was that I was like, I know what I've been taught and what I think the Bible says. And I also see God here now in this conversation. And mm-hmm. I don't know how I could, I don't know what, I don't know what to say. And I, and I concluded to tell her, I just, I'm certain that God loves you dearly. And she mm-hmm. was, she had been so hurt and just mm-hmm. to, and I can still remember that conversation because she, I don't know. God's presence was there. Like it was a very moving moment. And mm-hmm. I was, I, she was by far being more vulnerable, but I was in part being vulnerable just to say, this is, this is the, a lot of things are kind of clashing per se. And mm-hmm. yet when it's done in the context of love and, and of just human kindness to sit and share a glass of wine and talk to people, stranger mm-hmm. at a wedding, that, that context is so much more beautiful and honest and real mm-hmm. and hopeful than, oh, like let's have a debate like at our Bible study or our, whatever, like about or in politics about these issues. It just it right. lacks the humanity, and I think especially in our Twitter world, our, our social media world, where people make these grandiose statements from afar and don't mm-hmm. see people. I don't know. I just think like, what, what do you think about that and, and the connection to community and why that's so important and engaging just mm-hmm. in some of these very complex, significant conversations. Yeah. That, Oh my gosh. I felt that so much of, yes, we we're all wrestling with these, you know, the doctrine that we've been taught and, and ideologies and what we're supposed to think and what is righteousness and all this stuff. But what's, if we could, you know, if, if we're thinking like, okay, we're going to write a signpost or something, Mm -hmm. what do, what's the most important thing? Just so you know, God think might probably thinks that this is wrong or do we write? I think God loves you very much, Mm -hmm. you know? Like, and what do we ultimately, what do we want to focus on? And, and that's also the, th- like, we also don't know. <laughs> like, I think like our, my growing up, my family is um, full of a lot of theological, philosophical thinkers and stuff. So Christmas, like dinner, <laughs> family right. gatherings can get pretty, pretty down the rabbit hole. <laughs> and um my uncle always says this where he's like, okay, well, let's just approach every conversation, assuming that we're both wrong. Hmm. And then like letting that be the starting point, because we really like, we don't know actually what happens when we die. And it's, I think all of the, I've gotten rid of all of the answers 
in a really refreshing, like I've like get exempt myself from all of the answers of what I think I know. Mm -hmm. And I'm left with only questions. And that feels like a really, I'm okay to sit in the mystery of it all. And if I die and like find out that like Moses didn't literally split the Red Sea, my faith isn't completely dismantled from that, Mm -hmm. you know? And so getting caught up in the minutia of all of this stuff and not to say that it's not important to wrestle with because I think I think that that it I think it is important but as you said like it all just comes down to I think it's you know the story of Jesus is or or the mission of Jesus was to like really drive home that we need to love each other and take care of each other and to think of I actually, it was really early on and when I moved to Toronto and I was going to the meeting house for a while and Brexy KV, the pastor there was talking about the early church and he had the sermon and I, he just painted the picture really beautifully of like what that would have been like all these crazy Gentiles who like don't follow any rules and don't know about the practices of, um, you know, the Jewish faith and, and all of their practices that are in reverence to God and all of these like sacrifices that they make. And then that for, for the Jewish people in the early church to, you know, be challenged to let go of some of their dogma and um, be faith, you know, to, uh, that it's like based on that there's nothing, none of their acts can get them into heaven and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it was, it's important to remember that like they, were they went like the early I mean yeah like the early church they were together like they were they were meeting together and wrestling and coming from kind of these you know different upbringings different camps but they were figuring it out together and that would have been hard but it's not impossible mm-hmm. <laughs> and and it's important not to just surround yourself with the same you know that we're having that discussion in society right now of these silos that we sit in and we're just like having you know even the confirmation the bias people who, and, yeah yeah just like the people that are on your facebook that you're friends with on facebook just probably think the same way as you and all of this kind of stuff and right. um how yeah how do we how are we acting towards people that we we might not agree with and and bigger than that if you are a christian or are you know, trying to model your life after the teachings of Jesus, then is your, is your ideologies and your theology more important than the way that you treat people or the way that you make sure that they know that they're loved by the way that you treat them? Mm -hmm. That's, that's very well said that to me, it's very interesting too, that as we try to follow Jesus. If a person says, yeah, I, I take this seriously. Like I want to be a disciple of Jesus. If you're doing that faithfully by his love and his spirit and his power, mm-hmm. then that person would find themselves in many contexts that are not in the church. <laughs> so I've, I've yeah. thought about this too. It's like this, I don't know if you call it a paradox or whatever it is, but anyway, you, you follow mm-hmm. Jesus. And because of your conviction that God loves and, and wants to initiate this kingdom of God where things are turned on their head, where the, the, the weak will be lifted up. Those who mourn will mm-hmm. be comforted and those who are powerful and, and haughty and lorded mm-hmm. over other people will be brought low. 
So you're, you're on board and you go and that's when you find yourselves in communities with people who don't believe mm-hmm. in Jesus and actually who are very far from God. Although mm-hmm. I think an important caveat to that is Jesus would spend all his time, most of his time at meals and dinner time with people mm-hmm. who were quote unquote sinners. They said, why is your, why is Jesus, why is your teacher eating with these sinners, these people? Yeah. And yeah. that, yeah, that's where he chooses to spend most of his time. God is actually, I believe, I think the scriptures teaches that he is most present to the broken, to those who feel, mm-hmm. uh, who seem further away or more sinful again, that word, but that's where God's presence is. Yeah. You know what I mean? I, I've, I just pondered that a lot too. And I know the community for you is so important because as you mm-hmm. it, it branch out as it were, and you don't just stay in your, your bubble, which is f- fine. Like everyone, there's nothing wrong with like a context that you grow up in and a church. Like we all have our mm-hmm. own bias and context, but it's just that as you get older and you want to actually branch out because you believe that's what God would desire, then you're faced mm-hmm. with many different religions and views and things that just totally conflict with what you understood. And you find there's this whole, some might say word like deconstruction or mm-hmm. wrestling in your faith. Um, yeah. So any comment on that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I think that's great. I think my uncle said this to me once. He also was a youth pastor for a long time and they live in Nova Scotia and I go visit them every year, except for obviously the last couple of years, but which is irrelevant to this story. Just painting a picture. <laughs> <laughs> so we were catching up and I was saying like, I think God and I are good. Like I, I'm not like, you know, n- not that there's anything whatever like I'm not agnostic or like losing my religion or, and stuff but like I'm just really wrestling with this church Christian thing like I'm really and and at the time and still wrestle with like some some deep cynicism like I can go really judgy and really dark for sure <laughs> on then that's my journey of like healing and conviction of like why do I feel why is that so hot for me? But we were discussing that. And my uncle Mike said, so often it seems like the closer we get to modeling our lives, like Jesus, the less we fit in the church. And which is so, there's a disconnect because I think of people that I would describe as like seeing Christ in them who are so beautiful and are church going people and like participate and subscribe to that sort of thing. But it is countercultural, like to say, when we really look at Jesus as a human was poor and like a pacifist. And we, it, yeah, like he talked about a lot of things that, that, you know, like, and to, he talked about money more than basically anything else of like how uh, the pursuit of that and like the, the idolization of, of um, wealth is will like destroy your soul <laughs> and that's uncomfortable when we are you know we want to be well off and feed our kids and that our society is structured in a way that like celebrates wealth and all of that kind of stuff and yeah it gets it rubber hits the road that like there's there's some conflict for sure mm-hmm. you talked about mystery a lot too some people 
I mean, I'll speak for myself. There was a point where I would say you, you kind of believe or you don't, right? Like it's one or the mm. other with, with name mm -hmm. the topic. It's kind of like an all, you take the package or you don't of Jesus and Christianity. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. And yet this idea of mystery and seeing Jesus in that makes a lot more sense to me now. But mm -hmm. what have you learned about mystery? And, and what would you say to those who are saying, okay, like, so do you believe or don't you believe? Like, which one is it? Right. Yeah. I would back out of that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I wouldn't at all. I would love to talk at length with that person about that. There's mysticism in it. There's like, you know, uh, what do you, you're saying that there's not mystery in a virgin, like, what is that? The immaculate, immaculate conception. conception. Like that's, yeah. that's completely mysterious. People followed a star Jesus turned water into wine. That's freaky. If there was literally a garden or not, and a snake was, we just like accept that there was a talking snake. That's weird. <laughs> you know, like whether or not those are literal stories and there's paradox all through our spirituality of like, you know, there's our, you know, there's science and, and like logistics of what we see in the natural world. And yet I've experienced this unspoken spiritual connection with people. Like you sat at a wedding and you don't know that woman you were sitting next to. And yet you knew her, you know, like you knew her heart. And so that like, that's mysterious. And so the beautiful, I think what mystery invites us, the, the invitation for mystery is that like, we don't have to have all the literal answers and it's not about figuring out and having a really beautifully perfectly worded like put a bow on it answer for like where we came from and how the world started and how that literally happened and how the the I mean there's mystery and and intricacy in like Jesus as a human but he's God but then he was crucified and he came back alive but like how does that account for me that's a spirit that happened in the spiritual world. Like, I'm still really confused, but I, sometimes I'm like, wait a second, what does that, what does that yeah. mean? How does, yeah. like, that's, that's weird. But, and yet like that's mysterious and we have to accept, I mean, we don't have, we don't have to accept anything, but there's, it requires sitting in the mystery of that. And also there's a beautiful invitation of like, yeah, not having it all figured out and then, and yet believing anyway. Mm -hmm. And, and so I think that that's the, the invitation of like letting things sit kind of in these uh in between places mm -hmm. that's very well said a few years ago jess i heard from steph that you were starting something called share plates with a friend of yours where you would mm -hmm. i guess have dinner with people and create community i would love for you to share about that and what and what that was and what you learned there yeah so in 2017, my really dear friend Ryan and I started this dinner series called Share Plates, and we would each invite four people who didn't know each other. So there were 10 of us in total, and no one could say what they did for work. And then we would curate questions for the night. So everyone was part of the same conversation. So, and we would ask questions like, what were you really into as a kid? Or what could you give a 40 minute presentation on with no preparation? Or what do you think happens when we die? 
Um, so we covered like the whole gambit of, awesome. of topics <laughs> and sometimes like, and a really fun, we did like plan kind of halfway through the dinner, we'd say, if you were planning a weekend, a perfect weekend for the person to your right, where, what would you do? And what would you take them? And so people kind of had to invent these like weekend trips and stuff based on what they had heard from, from just an hour from the stranger. Mm-hmm. And, um, we would kind of intentionally invite people from different walks of life. So even our first dinner, Ryan had invited someone who was a investment banker. And then I had a friend who came who used to be a bike courier and kind of off the grid, a lot like philosophy major type and um, was a youth worker now. And they had dinner, which was so, so cool. And, and I think we're really, we were, we were and are really passionate about listening, just listening to the stories of others. So after three hours at dinner, you kind of, it's, there's no agenda. There's no like changing of people's minds. It's just what, what happens when we are really present. And, and I think that there's something really beautiful about sharing a meal and, and, um, uh, that breaks down some barrier. There's something spiritual, I think, in, in sharing food together Mm. and then just listening to each other. And I actually, I was living in San Francisco for a year and a half. So we stopped doing the dinners when I moved away. And then I moved back to Toronto in February of 2020 to, to relaunch the, the dinner series and that's turn a great it time into... to relaunch. <laughs> <laughs> and then the world ended. So it's pending. Like I'm, you know, I full, t- like, I want that to be my full-time job and events that center around storytelling and, talking about what it means to be human and what each individual person's experience is like and not, and, and to, and to see that it is good. Like, I think that that's, that's the thing of like all the ways that the world is good and all the, all the ways of that, that people are, are, you just see that like everyone is, is looking for a a place of belonging and everyone is looking to, to feel seen and, there are all types of beautiful people in the world. And it's, it's been the greatest joy of my life. And it's something that I hope to like, that it's just getting started if the world ever opens up again. So (laughs) there's some, there's some like, yeah, there's more, more to the story eventually. That's that. This poem is called A Worthy Witness. Is it art if it isn't helpful? Everywhere the world aches and all I can do is promise I won't avert my eyes. The only doctrine I have left is to believe that we will be saved by allowing ourselves to be changed by the stories of others. The revolution will come when we are standing in line for coffee, remembering that everyone is full of testimonies of all the things that they have survived and brainstorming how we can be a worthy witness to hear them. That's amazing. That is really cool to me. I you said something just it, almost in passing in there that you see, you know, some, there's very, something very spiritual about sharing a meal with people, and I, I think that is significant. I think that's very accurate. Can you just expand a bit mm-hmm. further? Why is that? Why why is there a connection with spirituality and just sitting down and sharing dinner, you know, and, and a drink with mm. someone? I don't. I don't. I don't fully know what it is, but I know that that's, I know that to be true. 
I don't know if it's, I mean, there's something in preparing, like Ryan and I feel have felt in the preparation of the food and in like, we would book off a full day and go to the grocery store and you're picking out like that can be a mindful spiritual practice of even like, Oh, I'm going to feed and nourish these people. And so you're putting care even into the, the meal that you make mm. and then to sit around and like people, I think, I don't know if it's as simple as just like, it's breaking down barriers because you have something to concentrate on other than just like sitting across from each other. So maybe it's as simple as that, but it's also, we witness it. I mean, we're going to have to figure out a post COVID way to do this, but it's like people family style of like holding a plate for the person beside you so they can serve themselves salad or like passing and refilling each other's wine glasses. And there's, there's in those tactile exchanges, there's something really beautiful going on of like, let me help you. Let me serve you. Let me, mm. let me wait. So you can serve yourself first. Do you need, you know, like your plate is empty. Do you need more food? I, and then, yeah. And then feeding people like to, it's one of our most basic needs. And so I think we all, some, and something magical happens over dinner. Like even thinking of some of the most formative conversations in, in my life were being a teenager and eating dinner and, and having hilarious conversations with my family or like really deep, you ha- you know, having some of the worst days and, and kind of wrestling with all that teenage angst over dinner. And um, yeah, I think that it's, it's a really important practice and I can't wait to eat dinner with other yeah. humans again someday. I know, <laughs> I know. it's crazy. Um, yeah. That's beautiful, Jess. Like, uh, obviously, this is a, a podcast about Jesus. So I'm just going to push it there again to connect the dots. Right. But I, I, I don't think yeah. this is fabricated. Like, Jesus, what is why does Jesus talk about meals so much? Like, isn't isn't I find that fascinating that he when he talks about even what the kingdom of God would be like, he, he uses imagery of like mm-hmm. a great wedding feast. And like we talked mm-hmm. about earlier, he's having meals with all kinds of people who don't normally fit in at all with the structure of religion and what people thought God mm-hmm. approved of. He's, in, he's sharing bread with people. He feeds the crowds. He asks the woman mm-hmm. at the well for water. He's talking about spiritual bread. Like food is, is, is so integral to our human experience. And I think it's just interesting that to me that we, we would sit at like a dinner table and feel like, okay, this is like a, a roads, like a pit stop on the way back to like our programs or our jobs or mm-hmm. our, our main task in life. But like, what if that's, our main task in life is those conversations and sharing bread and and a drink with people. Um, Yeah. I, I think, um, yeah, it's, first of all, it's something that we all do three times a day, 10 times a day, depending on your snack. I was going to say during COVID Uh, it's more than three, Jess, in our home. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I had an Apple watch. This is a total weekend whatever I had an Apple watch that my friend gave me and I wore it for like four days and it tells you to stand up and like move around a bit or whatever which was great but then it was I realized that I was like oh I should walk to the fridge and so I was like immediately making this habit every hour (laughs) like walking (laughs) to the fridge and I'm like I'm pretty sure this is not where this why the Apple watch is yes yeah Yeah. counterproductive but I think yeah on the one hand it's it's because some it's something that's so known to us and we're so reliant on it. So there's, you know, and, and Jesus and his 
teachings and in his stories and parables and metaphors, he used things that were, that we intricately know that are easy to understand. And so it meets us where we're at. Mm -hmm. And then the idea, there is something vulnerable. I like to think of him, you know, sitting with the lowly or like the sinners or whatever Mm -hmm. of like not being afraid to share share food, break bread, like the, you know, they didn't have, I don't know if they had serving utensils, even, you know, to like physically touch the same food that other people are touching and like being in each other's space of things that we're like putting into our bodies and nourishing ourselves with. There's something meaningful about that. And then we put our, our culture, our history into our food, like how we learn to cook. If, if, your, if it's recipes that are passed down from generation and then wanting it to be, it's a, it's a way daily that we can celebrate or practice gratitude or practice mindfulness too, of like, I'm going to make something that's nourishing. And then like that tastes good to serve and offer it to people for them to also mm-hmm. participate in and nourish themselves with. And so mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of power in that. And what would you say to people? I mean, the world is struggling right now. And I think more than ever, mm-hmm. this has shown us how much we need that, that it is mm-hmm. so connected to our, our holistic well-being. What, what do you mm-hmm. say to people who, who are really hurting right now, who don't have community, they cannot just go and have a meal with someone they love? Is there, mm-hmm. Are there ways, even during lockdown and COVID, that people can find some sense of community? Yeah. um, I think that there's a huge reckoning happening right now, which is, has been scary in a lot of ways of just seeing, but also there's, there's also an invitation. Like we can, it can be spun both ways, I guess. Um, Not spun in a manipulative way, but just like that there's, there's two ways to think of it. And, you know, we're seeing what we can go without and we're being asked to go without a lot and you know the I hope that people have taken inventory of like you know that there was areas of excess or that they were like we glorify being busy and we glorify being overworked and burnt out and tired and stuff which is not healthy and so hopefully there's been inventory of like oh I can it's good to go without that. Like I should let go of that practice or like that um, upholding of, of insane being insanely busy. But the thing that we see that there's no replacement for is nearness with each other Mm -hmm. and how we're all craving that of like, you know, even, even just the simplicity of how, how much grief there is just around not being able to like go out for dinner with friends and like, be in the general nearness of strangers of like a bustling restaurant, let alone the deeper thing of like people who haven't seen loved ones for who haven't been, you know, who skipped out on Christmas to protect their neighbor and to, we've seen a huge, like isolation has been really intense and like, and affected so, so many of our, our mental health. And, you know, there are ways to connect that are sort of a band-aid for now like there's seeking in whatever way that we can like still reaching out to our people and like you know FaceTime isn't the same as being in each other's homes but to still try and practice 
nearness with each other through technology. And we're really lucky that we have that, but yeah, there's no, there's no replacement. Mm-hmm. Obviously a big part of your story is being an artist and being a very creative person. And we've known that about you since we first met you. And, and I think it was more singing at that time. That was something mm-hmm. that you loved to do, but certainly there's much more to just jans and, and art. So why don't you speak to a bit about your passion and what you know about yourself as an artist and, and how that connects to spirituality, if at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've always been an artistic person. I think that that's been my outlet for making sense of the world and a way to like outwardly express the things that I'm wrestling with or thinking about or yeah. And it may, yeah, it helps me, helps the world make sense. And then there's also this, I think there's some artists who they're like, their their ideal setup would be just the cabin in the woods and they send their work they may or may not send their work out for people to read but they really don't care if people respond to it or not but a huge part for me is offering my words that are personal to the universal experience or that hoping that it can bring solace or it makes people it provokes thought or gives people language around something that they're feeling but they can't quite put their finger on and so there is you know, the, that we all connect over art and that there's a universality in the work that artists make, I think is a really powerful and beautiful thing to participate in. And it's always like never ceases to humble me and like overwhelm me when people, you know, you're just like, well, I just wrote this because I had to, because I w- was obsessed with this idea of the morning or what, like whatever I'm reflecting on or whatever. And then that someone says that brought me so much comfort or mm. that perfectly expressed this heartache that I'm feeling, or I was feeling really cynical and bitter about the world. And your poem reminded me to take a breath and be kind or something like that. It's, it's pretty humbling and pretty cool to participate in that. That's amazing. Uh, in your opinion, when it comes to art, what does the church, what does Christianity get right when it comes to art and beauty and, and where does it fall short? Mm. Great question. I think even the fact that we share, I mean, most church services start with music we know that, or I, I believe that like God, if we're, if they're the creator, then there's a innately creative spirit behind spirituality and we connect through music and there's something really, you know, anytime I go to church and worship starts, I immediately start crying. Like there's, there's like a a tenderness that's met in, in that, uh, in joining together and singing similar to in the same vein, I think a little bit to the food, uh, sharing food together, like the, the communal raising of voices. And, you know, even thinking of this podcast, I've been like rambling on for (laughs) however many hours. And then when we, when I can kind of distill a thought into a poem or into a song, 
it, it kind of, it gives us like, like more concise, more, more exact language for a thought or for a meditation. And I think the church gets it right when we celebrate art and gets it wrong. Um, there's what, yeah, there's kind of that tricky thing you go to Europe or even here you see kind of these ornate churches and in a way there's all this beauty in the imagery and the the intricacies of the stained glass window and stuff anything that's beautiful is is spiritual and is god i think so but then it gets all muddy and messed up where it's like is that portraying power and all that kind of stuff but i yeah built on the backs of the poor uh, you know with a promise to go to to go to heaven if you give to the church yeah 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 so there's something muddy in that for sure but i think art Brene brown actually says says this of like artists show us the way up and out they they give us language around things and 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 it's yeah points points to all that is hard and points to all that is good Mm. um and so and it kind of yeah it dissects and kind of cuts out all of kind of the noise and distills it to the like truest and and deepest parts of ourselves so i think that that's the the power of art and i don't, I don't know if you've shared currently do you mind me asking are, are you a part of a church right now do you attend any kind of service i'm not i i was home for three months for for christmas in bc with my parents and was attending their church and um they have a really beautiful gathering and so that was really good and yeah, I kind of, I don't know where I'm at with that. I struggle kind of what we were talking about at the beginning with the, how, how to be a part of an institution that's been really harmful to people. And even if it's a gathering of people that I would want to do community with, like, how do I participate in a, you know, if they have a mandate that, that is exclusion what is that exclusionary is that a word exclusive or cuts out whole people groups is is tricky for me so mm-hmm. uh that's something that i'm wrestling with right now i wanted to ask just a hypothetical but if you found yourself in a place where you could have influence over decisions within you know a church context you know maybe even here in the city when it mm-hmm. comes to art what what changes would you make what if you were the if you were the director of art for churches in a, in a, in a, in a city uh, what would oh, you man. institute um well I think even just having a director of art at a church is a cool idea and art is where we explore and there's a provocativeness I guess to art of like asking questions and like digging deeper and turning the rocks over and like looking under things and giving permission that it all belongs and all different art forms belong all voices belong so that would probably be my approach that's awesome just as we wrap up here um you know we've discussed quite a few topics today and I just 
I don't know. It gives me hope. I think I, I feel hopeful after this conversation that if there are people <laughs> listening, even who are on a journey of mystery of faith, whether they believe or they don't, or they're mm-hmm. probably somewhere in between, like most of us, these themes of love and of community and of sharing a meal and of art and of beauty. I think telling that story and, and reminding or even helping people understand for the first time that this might be closer to the kingdom of God than what some people might imagine or say it is. I, mm. I think a lot more people would, would have an interest in exploring spirituality if they, if they believed, if they knew that this, I think, was closer to the heart of God than some of the things they may have mm. grown up with. So thank you for taking us on a bit of this journey. And I just wanted to end by asking if, if there is someone listening who's in a similar place as maybe you have been, or you might even still be, who is mm-hmm. might have a lot of angst in their soul because of, you know, their love of God. And, and yet also so many deep questions that keep them awake at night. And, yeah. and, and I guess kind of lacking peace is what I'm getting at. What, what would you say? What advice would you give to someone who is on that journey? I, I, I mean, and I say this to myself too, is like not throwing the baby out with the bathwater, which I think I did for a long time, that there are people who, and I think that's the crazy thing too. I think that first of all, none of us know, none of us have all of the answers and we're all seeking and questioning. And, you know, it's like, find those people who are willing to, to dance with all of this, who are willing to entertain you know we kind of look for those like lightning bolts like oh my gosh if I ask this question (laughs) am I gonna get smited or something but there are spaces and people who feel just the same way as us and I think that that's the most powerful beautiful thing is that you know when we speak what's on our heart that like it's usually met with someone saying I've been wondering the same thing or I've been feeling the same thing and I am seeking those people in my in my life who are willing to sit in the same place and and question these things so it's not like oh well I guess that I'm exempt then from any kind of faith community because I don't think the same as the kind of doctrine that I was taught at the institution I was a part of as a kid or whatever yeah I get like it all belongs like all of our questions belong all of our and and God isn't afraid of our questions either like if we believe that that God is big enough and knows everything he's not intimidated by us being like I don't understand this let's go over this again you know like there's there's grace and there's space for that yeah thanks so much Jess uh before we go, how can people connect with you if they're interested in following you and, and your your poetry, your art, learning more about share plates? How, how can people get in touch? Yeah, I have a website, visit jessjans.com. And then on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at jessjans. So like social media is a great way. I share all my writing on my Instagram account and um I just started for April. I always write a poem a day and share it. So I just started that today. And 
Ryan and I are like in the midst of, of launching kind of an official website for our dinner series and looking into virtual events, but none of that's posted. So following my personal accounts for updates about that when we're, when we're launching is the best way to find me in the world. Awesome. And I'll, I'll include that in the show notes so people can get in touch and cool. yeah. Thank you so much, Jess. I, I really appreciate the journey that you've taken us on today. And I hope that for those who are listening, that you would check out Jess's work. It's fantastic. And um, yeah, I think we're all longing for COVID to be over and to sit down <laughs> uh, at a table with friends. Cool. Thank you so much. This is so, so beautiful to prepare for this and kind of place myself and do some inventory on where I'm at. And I just feel really honored to be included in your podcast. So thank you for having me. I'll finish with this one. It's called ABBA. I'm trying to unlearn and then relearn you. Me with my finite body and tiny mind. I have tried to define you and in that confine you to a God that serves and acts instead of a God that is. I am trying to unlearn and then relearn you. Your words less a binding law and more a poem. Your house less a building and more an ocean. Your mood less frantic and more playful. I am trying to unlearn and then relearn you. Me with my limited scope and spectrum. I have tried to trick you with my questions until I realize my stubborn and foolish doubt is not troubling to you. I am trying to unlearn and then relearn you. Now that I see you do not keep to your hallowed chambers. Now that I see you are not concerned with our shaking, dirty hands. Now that I see you kissing our foreheads each night as we sleep.